Good morning. 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 Yeah. Wow. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Yeah. How I can see. I can see. I can see better like that. But I can see. I can see. Guys, thanks for the prayers last week. I, I, I can't tell you. I was absolutely. When I said last week I was scared to go into the night with eye surgery, I, I was genuinely concerned and scared. Uh, and it came out exactly like the doctor said it was going through. And, I should have never been concerned to start with, but it's like poke your eye, you just feel a little nervous. Especially when we're going to have a, a stigmatism, and so they have to get a contact lens. Our lens, the contact for years, have been the one floating to get in the right position. So it's okay, I got to mark your eye. I ain't going to mark my eye. So take a sharp pen and poke my eye. And I jumped a little bit, and he said, Can you feel that? And I said, yeah. So he pokes it again. I said, I can still feel it. <laughs> Man, well, let's get some more dander in there right quick. Yeah, let's please do that. Will you poke it one more time, please? <laughs> yeah. But other than that, surgery was great. I'm looking forward to having the other one done next week. So I'll be uh, able to see again like a young man. Looking forward to that. Guys, uh, you may have noticed Phil is not here. He's on his annual retreat. Um, and I'm sure... They are having a wonderful time in Alaska. I'm sure it's a little cooler up there, like some that I know have been out west. Uh, they're not having smoke that's coming off the fires in California, so I'm sure they're having a great time. Phil concluded the series Joshua. When he concluded it last week, that just meant he wasn't going to be here this week. Uh, it's actually being wrapped up today by Jeff and bringing it to full conclusion, just kind of recapping some of what's been there. Looking forward to what he has to share with us. If you would remember our brothers as they travel this week, um, exploring themselves, exploring God's country and beauty in Alaska. With that, let me open for the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for being here, Lord. Thank you for in Alaska this week. Lord, have your hand upon them. Guide them in their discussions and their thoughts. Exploring their inner be hearts and minds. Open them up, Lord. Allow them to receive your message, your healing, and your love. God, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, second largest growing Christian church in the world. In your word, you write that we will be persecuted, but you're our strength. You're our fortress. We place our hope in you. Thank you for the work you did on the cross. On the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Where's John? There he is. All right. So John, maybe turn me down a little bit there. They say the way to engage an audience is start with a shocking quote. Are you ready? This is a quote by John Calvin. <laughs> so you can say that a Catholic guy to start his talk quoted John Calvin. Um, but this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, this idea of obedience. Um, it's interesting to me as I kind of looked at this and I looked at uh, how Moses learned to obey, the definition of obey, uh, Joshua, 
uh, and then ultimately the way Jesus taught us to obey, right? So this quote uh, says that in order to know God, we obey God. And then the other side of this is in order to obey God, we know God. So it goes both ways, right? It, we, we learn from John Calvin is right. We, we learn about God by being obedient, but we also become obedient the more we know God. So that's the theme for today. And so with that, following the same kind of format that Phil does, I want to start out with a song. Um, when I thought about Joshua, Joshua was mentored by Moses for 40 years. That's a long time. That, that means a complete, that's enough time. That's what 40 years means. It means that it was enough time to get done what needed to be done. Uh, Joshua was mentored. And, and when I think about this song, it's not what Moses would have said to Joshua, but it kind of has the tone of what Moses taught Joshua. And, and it's uh, Humbling Kind by Tim McGraw. And I know you've heard this song before, but think about it as a mentor saying, I'm about to go. Remember these things. All right. And then we'll, we'll follow up after this.
a man be strong. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a man in the in the under the banner of being humble and not being kind in the way I can hear Roan say everybody be nice, not being kind in that way to where it's a um, avoiding the difficult conversation, avoiding being strong, avoiding being masculine and being a man. That is not what kindness is. So I'm not meaning that, but I guess the question I would ask us is, did your dad teach you that? Did your dad model that? Uh, some of our men in your life, did you see like Moses, Joshua saw that in Moses, right? Moses was humble. Um, there is a verse that jumped out of the Bible when I read it, and it's this one right here, and this is kind of the theme for today. And it's in parentheses, and I'll explain what that means in a second. But... Now, the man Moses was a quietly humble man, more so than anyone living on earth. That is something that I think we could talk about for about three weeks right there, but we won't. We'll just kind of go over a 10,000 foot view. What does that mean and why? Well, as you know, Moses had a speech impediment, right? He couldn't talk real well. So from the beginning, what could he do on his own? Nothing. His whole story is about, I can't do it by myself. He was rescued from the river, right? He, from the start, he needed help. His brother Aaron spoke for him. His brother Aaron was a Hebrew, and he was how he connected and talked to the, uh, to the Hebrew people that didn't have anything in common with Moses, who grew up in Egypt in the lap of luxury, everything he ever wanted. He was also um, humbled by um, just many events that happened in his life. And so Joshua saw that. And in that song, that sentiment of the song is the reason I chose that is because Joshua saw this. And we see this in men we respect and, and today. And, and a lot of times, you know, uh, it's almost like you can't even say it because if you say someone's humble, that's bragging about it, right? And then it's become prideful, right? But you think about men uh, like, man, that's a humble man. Well, the, the leadership of this company is humble. Uh, and, it's, and it's something that someone, most people don't talk about, you know? But it, it's the reason why that's in parentheses is because the Jewish writers are like, I don't even feel like I can mention this, right? It's kind of like this is, this is something that is so pure that, I got to mention it because you're going to miss it if I don't. And so they, they put it in there reluctantly and said, Moses was a humble man. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that mean in the spirit of being a man? And what does 
that look like? So, for 40 years, Joshua was mentored by Moses. And what did he see? He thought, what did he see? So, so we talked about Joshua, and we learned about a lot of the many, many things that Joshua did. And as we wrap up that series, look at the relationship between Joshua and Moses. Today we're going to be talking about relationships. Uh, Joshua saw Moses obey God. He saw that. And there was something unusually good. I love that phrase because that's how I think about humbleness and other men I see. It is unusually good. This culture, with everybody arguing about everything, there needs to be more humbleness, right? It's just that unusual good quality of a good man, right? He saw him talk with God the way a man talks with a friend. Boy, that was a first. God was not like that in that time. But Moses somehow talked to God like he was a friend. Like what? Joshua must have just been amazed by that. Like what is going on with Moses and God in this tent? This is, this is crazy. He saw him walk with God. He was there when he led the Passover as a young child. He was there, the Exodus, uh, going through the Red Sea. Uh, Joshua saw all this. He saw God work through Moses in very, very unusual ways. He saw Moses teach and correct others, right? Um, one of the things about being humble is being open to, correct, to being corrected, right? How does it feel we, when a person's a coach? We know that's part of the deal. The coach is going to correct you, and if you've ever played sports, sometimes it's not pleasant. You know, that he's going to be right and direct in your face. You messed up. And then there's correcting in a way that's out of love to say, hey, uh, I love you. Uh, I've got some faults. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to share something with you where you're, you have a blind spot, right? And so being open to correction, um, Joshua saw God correct Moses. And then Joshua saw Moses correct people, right? You see how that relationship works? And then he saw God, uh, Moses fall to his face before God asking for forgiveness and then in front of the people asking for forgiveness. David also did this. David, David, as you know his story, he, he, uh, he, he fell to his face as well begging for forgiveness. So he saw this in a man and was like, what is... What is this man? This man's different, you know. Um, he saw him lose his temper, right? Moses, can you imagine having a speech impediment and being like, I can't really communicate and all these people are dependent on me and I have all these responsibilities and he lost his temper. He was a, he was a normal guy. He was in part. He's not, a, not an angel walking the earth. He was human, right? So, so Joshua saw, and I'm sure like many of us saw in our fathers and my son has seen to me, I've lost my temper before. I'm not proud of it, but I have. Uh, he saw that. And then what I thought was interesting, I never knew this while, while I was studying this, is he wrote a song. So going back to the song, it wasn't that song, but there were things that Moses felt were so important. He said, I'm going to commit this to music so it can be remembered. And boy, Moses, if there's one thing he did, he was like, remember this, remember this, remember this. He was adamant about that, like, and that's, that's one of the, the biggest things that the Jewish people have today is like, what's your main thing? It's like the Lord, the God is one. Uh, you should love the Lord God with all your whole heart, soul, and strength. And that comes right from Moses. 
And that is like the big thing. That's their big thing. But that's what he passed on. And Joshua saw this. So what was Joshua's role? I love this analogy. He was the first quarterback and the first coach on the field, using an analogy that we understand, uh, or the coach on the floor in basketball or whatever sport, the coach on the diamond. Uh, he both played and coached, right? And so how did he do that? He learned daily. I think as, as men, we learn from Joshua. If we step back and say what we learned from Moses, what do we learn from Joshua? Joshua was a, a disciple. He was a student. And his teacher was Moses. His teacher eventually moved from Moses to God. But Joshua was taught. And he was saying, you know, part of being humble is I don't know it all. Uh, and I think we all have that in, uh, in common. Is like I, I, there's things I need to learn every day. And then he led a big victory. So the analogy for this is, uh, you know, after this victory, Moses said, write this down, repeat this, where Joshua can remember this, remember this, remember this. And I remember it's kind of like Mississippi State going down to Baton Rouge and we beat Baton Rouge, we beat LSU down in Baton Rouge. It's like we want to we want to tell that story over and over again, don't we? Like, <laughs> you know, think about like, hey, let's just wear this out, you know, because that was a really good time. But but it but it it's it's good to remember a victory in the right way. And so Joshua by Moses, they wrote it down and said Joshua is going to need this later. That he did something big, but not him, but God in him. And even me. And, and one thing, Moses, I forgot to mention, is that what could he not do by himself? He couldn't hold his hands up during the battle. He had to have help with that. So again, Moses was like, I need help. And as Phil has said before, that's really hard to be humble from a man to say, hey, I need help. I need other people to help me do what I do. And Moses, in parentheses, was the most humble man ever. He declared his loyalty to everyone. So he made it clear, as for me and my house, we shall worship the Lord, right? We shall serve the Lord. And we're going to get back to that word, serve, in a minute. And, and it flows right into this statement. And uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks when we had breakouts, uh, is what is servant leadership, right? That's another thing we could talk about for three months. But... Um, if you think about it, Moses took a nation from really slavery, dependency, 100% dependency on being completely taken advantage of. And really, in every shape, way, and form, they were, they were like animals. You know, they were, they were a beast of burden, whatever you want to call it. That's what they were. And he took them from that to a foundation of a nation. And the foundation of our salvation history through, through the Jews as, it, as Jesus came out uh, from that culture. He, he brought them through that. And so that is servant leadership when you look at Moses in the light of that. And then finally, uh, he saw how God fathered Moses, right? So, so Joshua was like, there's a different relationship between God and Moses than anybody else. I've ever even heard of. And so that changed Joshua and it gave him a model of how to be with other men. And when I think about this, I think about Jesus uh, and the way he 
fathered his disciples. And he said, follow me for I'm meek and humble of heart. Again, the word humble pops up out of nowhere. Like, why is that a theme? Right? And then Matthew 20, 25, 27. Uh, let's read that really quick. He got them together and said, You've observed how the godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes straight to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Talk about a paradigm shift, right? Jesus spelled it out. Servant leadership. So let's, we're, we're going to take a few seconds to, uh, I, I feel easy does this first, but looking at the journal is something to think about uh, is the, three, the top three things we worry about, right? Um, th things that continually pop up that kind of worry about. Um, I think this is important because uh, it's it's good to be honest about this. Uh, when I went to deer camp and kind of sat in a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, there was time to journal, and I think this was brought up, and I hadn't really ever done this before, but I think it's something healthy for us to do is uh, if you ever wrote down the things that worried you that might worry you, then in the back of your mind, some of them in your front of your mind, some of them in the back. And so six pages later, I was done, <laughs> right? My son, like, what, hap what if something happens to my kids? You know, like, I don't even want to think about that. But, but, but yeah, that, that is something that sometimes worries me when I don't hear from them. What's going on? When something happened to my wife, something happened to my job, something happened to the finances. You know, there's things that men, we just constantly kind of think, hey, Running a business, Joe, right? There's things that you just have to worry about, like and think about. I'm like, what if? And so sometimes and during this pandemic, there's a lot of what if. There's a lot of anxiety that kind of creeps up and it causes all kind of crazy behavior that we're seeing. But um, it's good to write that down. It's good to write that down and um, we'll come back to that. And then, and then the other thing that, that I think is important for us to do is um, I saw these videos and I love these videos that like, hey, here's how to fix something on your car it's on YouTube and you can go look it up or here's something good for uh, B12, like B12, you know, did you know B12 helps your mood, you know, and you probably should, at least for me, it helps. I didn't know that, you know, and so there's all these body, mind and spirit uh, life hacks or strategies. And one thing I've seen from the pandemic is, is a lot of that stuff is coming out like, hey, here's a way to stay a little bit healthier, um, you know, because our immune systems need to be healthy. Here's a way for our mental health to be a little bit more healthy, you know. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's easy for us as men to say, hey, when we're taught, hey, when I hang out with Joe or Jeff or anybody, uh, talk about uh, some things you learned about how to fix stuff with the car or the uh, – anything around the house, you know, I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know that's how you could fix a shower or whatever. And like, that's good. Let's talk about that. But then there's also stuff like, how do we stay healthy? You know, how are you staying healthy through this pandemic? Right. And that's, uh, that's a good thing to share, you know, is a good thing to share with each other and, and other men and say, Hey, what's working for you? Um, I, I have a few things that I've learned. So that's been the, one of the fruits of all this pandemic stuff we're going through. And then finally, um, a real honest question to ask and journal about is where do we go to find peace and comfort? 
And that is, uh, I'm not a counselor, uh, but I know that that is something that counselors kind of look at. Like, where do you go when, when you hurt, right? So uh, those are the questions that I want to kind of go over. Um, and before we go to the next thing, I want to show a video. This video is a guy that went to the Air Force. Uh, his older brother went before him. And he tried it one way, and then he had to try it another way. And instead of letting me tell his story, I'm going to let you listen to his story. And I had two completely different experiences as a kid at the Air Force Academy in my six years there. You know, when I arrived in the Academy, my older brother, Steve, who's just an incredible officer, great airman, he had been the cadet wing commander when I showed up. And so I was trying to make my own way in the world. And, you know, if you're trying to make your own path and your older brother is perfect, the only avenue available to you is anti-perfect. And so I spent my first two years fighting the organization. And then we made a mutual decision between the Air Force Academy and Cadet Bullfrey that maybe I need to leave and get my act together. And so I left and rode a 10-speed bicycle because that's how many speeds that were available in 1980 around the country for an entire year. And as I traveled around the country and people took me in, total strangers who would come up and talk to me and bring me and take care of me, I came to the conclusion on my own that this nation is worth defending. And I went back to the academy. And my last two years were a completely different experience. And the only thing that changed between the first two years and the last two years is I embraced what the Academy was trying to do. And I realized that actually the world didn't revolve around Dave Goldfield, that actually I was part of something really big and that there's opportunity to serve others. And so I offered that story to you and then let's all of us do our own mirror check here. Where are we on our journey? Where are you on your journey? You fight the institution? Or are you embracing the institution? And as leaders, are we looking at this business of leadership from the eyes of a servant or from the eyes of someone who feels entitled? And I think if we embrace the institution of values that we stand for, our airmen are going to want to follow us because leadership is a gift that's given by those that we serve. What did you guys hear in that story? Anything that stood out? Leadership is a gift. Leadership is a gift. Given by those that follow us. Right? Um, what changed in him from year one and two to years three and four? Have you seen that before? You know, I know I've seen it in me, and we, we have it around us all today to where, what does it mean to be American? You want to answer that question? Is it all about me? That's not what being American is. That is absolutely anti-American. It is unpatriotic. America is about my fellow man, right? That is, that is the very definition of American. And what he said is right, like, hey, I, 
made a decision and a realization and awareness that I was going to serve this country. Huge difference. Instead of serving himself or, you know, whatever was going on with his older brother kind of being Mr. Perfect, right? I can't, you know, that changes a guy when he comes in and says, like, how can I ever be this guy? My brother is going to always be better than me or everybody's favorite, right? So he made a decision to be uh, a servant leader. And so we're going to dive into that point. We've got about um, 10, 15 more minutes. I want to dive into that. Um, so there is a, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? So we talk about leading other men, being a servant, but being a servant at home, different story. Boy, you talk about humbleness and the difficulty it is to serve in that way. It's a little bit harder. Uh, and so this verse, uh, I want to I bring up really quick. Um, and I'm going to use the, um, the, the study Bible uh, that Phil calls instead of the, the message. Um, I don't know. We, we cover this every year. Uh, and it's always like, you know, kind of. Elbow my wife, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, you know. Um, it's good to be the king, right? Uh, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in the, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself, her, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, holy and without blemish. That's a, uh, that's a reading right there. There's a lot in that. But, but when I, and I can't take credit for this, but the word submit actually means uh, something different. And it's a little bit lost in translation. And so I want to talk about this for a little bit because I think it's important and it's something that I'm still learning and it's been a growth thing for me. Um, Hupatasso is a Greek word. I, I'm sure I messed that up. But it means to rank or place yourself under. So it means literally I will fight and defend her. Wives, fight and defend your husband. That's what it means. Fall in rank. Assume the position. Stand it ready. That's what the word submission means in that. It doesn't mean he's the king. It's good to be the king. You're a domestic servant. Have fun with your life. It doesn't mean that. It means be ready to defend your husband. And in the same way, uh, Paul, St. Paul is saying, uh, the way Jesus loved the church and laid down his life for the church, so you must too, husbands, lay down your life for your wife. And this is just a relationship. We're talking about a husband and wife relationship, but it applies to much more than just a husband and wife relationship. But Joshua, if you want to think of the definition of this, Joshua was a general to the major, right? Moses was, was the boss, the major of the army. Joshua fought and defend. But why did Joshua feel so strongly about that? Because Moses 
would fight and defend as well, right? So when you have a leader, and this is really it comes out in the military, like like this guy's saying, or, or even in the battle, which I know nothing about. But if you know your leader is willing to put it on the line for you and has your best interest at heart, you'll go to war with him and for him, right? It's a different relationship rather than saying, obey. You know, sometimes we look at God and we look at that word obedience. It's like Uncle Sam going, obey. That is not the same thing as hupatasso. Um, and so to illustrate this story, I've got two stories. One is a mythical story and the other one is personal. Um, and so think of it this way. The king is the king, right? They have a castle. They're defending the castle. Enemies are coming. Um, the king knows our weaknesses is at the, the south gate. And my queen is in the castle and all these people that can't fight. And what, as a man, are you going to do? You're going to go to the weakest area and defend it, right? You know that. You go out there, no matter what she says, she said, oh, my gosh, he's going to risk himself. A king will say, I will defend the weakest spot. Right. So he goes out and he prepares all this stuff. Now, what does the queen do? She knows her husband. She's oh, my gosh. He's going to go out there. So what does she do? She goes ahead of him and says, hey, and this just like makes me want to cry. But it's like this mutual. This mutual uh, thing where she she would go out and say, hey, don't tell him this, but I need some other men out in front of him. Because I know my husband. I know what he's going to do. And right, so he's putting himself in harm's way to protect me. And then she's like, hey, you guys protect him. You see that? You see that dynamic? It's different. Um, and so that's the mutual thing that Paul is describing. It is not about one person being a slave to the other in a, in a relationship, uh, submission. That's what that kind of mentions. But it really means a mutual the way Christ was with the disciples, the way the disciples were with Christ, it's like, be that way with your husband and your wife. And so where the rubber meets the road, I mean, I, the way I saw it modeled growing up was it's, it's almost good to be the king, right? In the South, um, you know, the husband worked and that was enough. And at home, uh, kind of my mom did everything. Um, pretty much around the house, and uh, the kid, we didn't help as much as we should have, you know. All of that fell on my mom. Uh, and then as we started having children, and, and my wife is working, I'm working, I'm in the same kind of thing, you know. She took on the role, and, and she would wear herself out to be a mother and a homekeeper. And I'm not saying that, that those roles should be reversed at all. She made a comment once, you know, Phil talks about listening. And like all of a sudden I heard this for the first time. And she was like, you know, when I dreamed about getting married, I thought that there would be a mutual thing to where we'd be partners and share the load. I'm like, whoa, man, I need to hear that. Cause I always like, I don't want to do laundry. I don't want to do dishes. You know, I, that's woman's work. I mean, I don't know. I never said that, but in the back of my mind, I thought that. You know, and, and, and it's not about that. It was just about like, it's the same kind of thing as my wife is a nurse. So personal story, she will not stop. If you've ever met somebody who's a nurse or that type of personality or a teacher, 
They don't have an off button. And my wife's also a good mother and she just will not stop, you know? And so it's kind of like you come, you come to that awareness. It's kind of like that same kind of story. It's like Jeff, like, when are you going to step in and help? Like, like she is, she is going to absolutely wear herself down if you don't kind of share the load. And so that's an example of home, home stuff, but, but it really becomes this thing of like, Hey, I'm going to take a servant role. You're partially, we're not going to have one or the other, one king and one. We're both going to share the load. And that's the best way to describe it is like, I'm still learning that. You know, I'm still learning that to like, you know, let's mutually uh, do this out of a loving, I lay down my life, you lay down your life. But we learn that not from a worldly way. We learn that from Jesus. You know, the way Jesus did it is the way we're going to do it. Jesus, who said, hey, you called me teacher and all this stuff but I'm going to get down and wash your feet, you know, like a beneath what a slave would do. Right. And that is kind of this extreme example of like, uh, that, that, um, we have to humble ourselves, you know, and, well, I can't think of another more real rubber meets a road way than you're at home and saying, Hey, I'm going to humble myself in the way a servant does and take care of this, uh, instead of you, you know, so that's that's one of the stories, but but I think that is a, a holy life hack is the best way to describe it. Is like how can you have a really holy relationship? Is where you have that mutual thing, not just one person doing it, both, right? So it's a man servanthood comes real into reality when you're in your family. Like I'm gonna do some of the stuff around the house and other things, not just that. I'm, there's many, many, many examples. But before we're able to do that, how are we able to have our needs met, right? So getting honest too is, uh, yeah, I have things I need uh, from my wife. I have things I need from relationships that I don't have. And so these, you've seen this before, and we're not going to go through this in detail but there's four types of love in relationships, right? Um, and the reason I bring this up is the last one, which we'll cover in just a second. But um, I sat with a young man who is in about, let's see, about five months, he'll be a priest. So he is going to uh, depend on God for everything, right? Which is a different, different thing, right? Especially, you know, it's not... Not every guy is called to do that. But he, he mentioned this. He said that we were taught recently that all four Greek loves are found fully in God, which is like, mm, I don't know, maybe. But the first one's the hardest is like, can you find as a man a romance with God? Uh, there are men that have written about that much better than I ever could. Like I finally found love when I found relationship with God. That does not mean to forsake the relationship with a woman at all. It means that God also has romance for us, the romance of calling us and wooing us and us responding to that and that whole dynamic. Um, different. The one that we most associate with that we get is like this military brotherhood that we just saw or we just saw at deer camp. When you go to deer camp, you will feel this. I will guarantee you'll feel this. I will 
bet you a hundred dollars is when you're around other guys and they're in there and the way the deer camp is run that love from brotherly peer love is strong it is good it is good and so that's something we get as guys we're like yeah i understand that and that is how a need in my heart is met and why am i going over this because in order to be a servant in order to serve and be humble you're gonna have to be fed somehow you know, you have to be fed in a way to say, hey, I, my needs are met. I'm going to meet the meet needs of other people, right? And, and God meets our needs in, in, in many ways through other people, but also directly. So the idea is, yes, I need this relationship with other people. I need, uh, in this case, romantic love with my wife. I need brotherly love. I need uh, sacrificial love, agape, which is uh, what I call like grandmother love or that they just, nothing but give nothing but giving sacrificial love that's holy right that is uh when you see it you know that person has a different quality but as we have as we wrap up i want to talk about this last piece because this is something that out of the pandemic and, and that i'm learning is this parent child love right and so um Dr. Billy Mink, who, who comes often, uh, has talked about he's seen kids that aren't held as a child and what that does to a person. I mean, that is something I, I mean, I don't think any of us could relate with, but there are things that happen. Uh, and I think, I think the model of that is in prayer. And I think Jesus modeled this better than anybody and talked about this. And something that I'm trying to grow in is when I pray and when I have a relationship with God, it is like a parent-child, right? The way a father would hold a baby. The way, I mean, I'm really going to sound different here, but, in, you know, if, if Mary is, is, is our shared mother, the way a mother holds a child, you know, is that a way, you know, not, not there's no, no Mary worship and all that, but it's the way God loves us in a way a parent loves a child, like being held. And I believe when Jesus went off to pray, that's what he felt. He needed that, right? It's like, you know, you, you kind of think about that. Like, what did Jesus do when we know he probably thought about the Psalms? The Psalms are something that he learned and how people poured their heart off to God. And, and Jesus talks about this. He says, you must become like a child. And that's referring to this type of love and it is literally like being held by a parent in prayer and so something is meant to say hey boy if we're going to be who we are to be and had our needs met by god we i know that i have to learn what it feels like to be held by god in prayer as a father holds a child right and that's something that's so unusual because men are like hey, hey we passed that stage like 100 years ago but in prayer, you know, I, I look at this example. Um, you know, God is God is this eternal eternal line of all beginning of time and end of time, everything in the history of the world, and our lives, and our impacts are about like that. Our lifespan, and that not that's not to minimize how important and beautiful and valid and all the experience we go through. But when Jesus prayed, I think he kind of connected with the eternal because he obviously had a unique relationship that we would never none of us will never have but like phil draws this diagram 
in prayer, there's a way to connect to God and remind ourselves that, hey, your story is much, much, much bigger. It's kind of like the story, like when the guy was in the military and realized, man, there's something much, much, much bigger going on. And in prayer, a lot of times you can find a way to connect to something that is much longer and much more eternal, right? And so that's a that's a whole nother conversation. But um, I want to I want to cover that with with Romans twelve. Um, this is what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? And so, um, to wrap up, I want to talk about this. We, we start about obedience, right? Obey. That's how sometimes people see the church. You know, it's like, man, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to like fall in line and obey and feel what that feels like. But the word obedience comes from the word Shema. And what does that mean? That means to listen. That feels a lot different than forcing something on someone, right? God uh, is asking us, and so back to the quote from John Calvin, is like, uh, he's right. Knowing God is through obedience, but also obedience is by knowing. If I know God, if I know a man who follows God, and I see that, and I hear it, and I listen, I learn, I understand it. I may not be able to communicate it to other people. I may not be able to say, I don't know how to say this, but I've seen a guy that knows God, you know, and that draws me to obedience versus obey, obey. Here's the Ten Commandments. Don't don't mess up. Follow the rules. It's like I know God and therefore by knowing God, I obey or I know a man who knows God. Sometimes that man is you. Right. Sometimes that man is other people saying, I know a man who knows God, and that's why I'm called to obey God, because I see the way he's humble, and I'm called to that. So the last thing I want to wrap up with before we pray is this verse right here out of Jeremiah. God's message. Don't let the wise brag of their wisdom. Don't let heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. Boy, some Americans need to hear this today. If you brag, brag of this and this only, that you understand and know me. Jeremiah says it a thousand times better than I could ever say it. Brag that you know me. Period. That I'm God and I act in loyal love. I do what's right. And I set things right and fair and delight in those who do the same things. These are my trademarks, God's decree. Right? That sets it out. And when we talk about Adam and Eve leading the garden, what did they say? Go make it right. He said, go till the earth and you're going to have to pull out the weeds and all that stuff. But that's a metaphor. It's also literal. You do have to grow your own food, you know, in that kind of sense. But he was also talking about what Phil's talking about, take the land. As a man, get to know me and go make it right.
You know, so as we look in our lives today, this week, this month, this year, go out there and clear that land. Go out there and make it right. Claim it and say, I'm going to brag about one thing and one thing only, is that I know God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of men that model knowing you. We thank you for your passionate pursuit of not only us, but the men that have mentored us. And we, we ask that you continue to teach us, make us coachable. We thank you for your grace for the times when we lose our temper, when we mess up, when we're not the model men that we should be, that you continue to father us and grow us into men that know you. And then out of knowing you, obeying you. We ask you to be with everyone this week. Keep everybody safe, especially Phil and all the group of men up in Alaska. Keep us all safe through this pandemic and all of our loved ones. We ask this through our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.